Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 19 and verses 11 through 27. The passage may be found in your pew Bibles on page 878. I will be reading from the English Standard Version, which is the translation that Pastor Wes Holland will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable, because he was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him, and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. Seeing all the children up here reminded me of a comment that I made to Jeremy, that all the children in the church were going to be in youth group one day, and it made his hair fall out. (laughs) You know, speaking of lacking hair, who was that clean-shaven guy up here leading worship? We normally don't let strangers in the pulpit. So, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. And as I have been given the uh, responsibility to uh, proclaim it, I pray that Jesus Christ would be lifted high. Lord, I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts and our souls. Um, Enlighten the eyes of our heart that we might be able to grasp how wide and how high and how long and how deep is the love of Christ, that we might be filled Uh, to all the fullness of God. I pray this in his name. Amen. So I have six points for this sermon, which works out to uh, less than five minutes per point. I think I have about five, maybe just a tad over five minutes per point. So 
there won't be a typical introduction. Let's just jump right into the text. So, the first thing you see when you look at verse 11 is that there were many who were mistaken about the impending appearance of the kingdom of God. Uh, So we read here in verse 11, As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So they had this expectation. You know, throughout history, uh, Christians have had this expectation. At 1000 A.D., people were sure that Jesus was going to return. Then during the Reformation, people were sure that Jesus was going to return during their lifetime. Then during World War I, people were sure that Jesus was going to return. Then in World War II, people were sure that Jesus was going to return. Then during the Cold War, people were sure that Jesus was going to return. Remember how people would talk about uh, Gorbachev's little... uh, little birthmark and how it would move around on his head. And you know, I, I read this book uh, in all seriousness back in uh, when I was a brand new Christian. It was uh, 1980s, Countdown to Armageddon by Hal Lindsey. And he was predicting Jesus is going to return. And now there are a lot of people again in our day and age that are sure that Jesus is going to return during our lifetime. Um, And I do hope that Jesus returns soon. But I urge you not to pin your hopes on Jesus' return in our lifetime. Maybe he will. Maybe he won't. Pin your hopes on Jesus rather Then on his return, he will come, but it won't come on our timetable, no matter how much we may want it. So when Jesus said to Zacchaeus in Luke 19, verse 9, when he said, Today salvation has come to this house, messianic fervor began to to rise within the people. Word had gotten out that Jesus, once he left Jericho, was going to head toward Jerusalem. It was coming time for the Passover. In fact, uh, the next time we're in Luke will be uh, the triumphal entry. So people's, uh, people's expectation is beginning to build. They were expecting Jesus to overthrow the Roman government in order to set up an eternal messianic political reign here on earth. So Jesus had to dispel this idea. That's why he told this parable, to correct their their misplaced expectations. Again, he told this parable, to quote verse 11, because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. Every age has no shortage of of false prophets saying, look at this sign, or notice this coincidence. Again, I ask you, I urge you, don't place your faith in His coming. Place your faith in Him. I think what concerns me most is that it is tempting to place our hope in our national strength. 
And when we see our nation faltering as it is, we look to Jesus as our fallback position. Our nation is teetering, and it's all of our own doing. It's as if we are lunging for a godless statism, this godless worship of the state. We're giving ourselves over to these godless elites that do not care for the citizens, but only care about increasing their power. Will we ever say, stop, enough? I don't know if we will. Our nation may implode from, from uh, within for a lack of a moral compass, but the church, the body of Christ, will not dissolve no matter how many attacks we receive. So put your hope in Christ. Please do not put your hope in our nation or in Christ's return if you are simply running from your fears. Hope in Christ's return. Look for it. But don't let your fears overcome you. Christ is sufficient. He is the King of kings. Everything is in His control. Trust in Him. And so that's the first point. Moving on to the second point. Jesus is going to, He's telling His disciples, He is going to be delayed for an extended uh, period of time, for an unexpectedly long period of time. And so His parable is an argument why they should not get carried away with this messianic fervor. Verse 12, he said, therefore, a nobleman, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Jesus is, is teaching his disciples not to expect him to return immediately after his death and resurrection. He would be a long time away. And it was typical for a king in, during these times, when, a, when uh, a king died and the heir was, to, uh, was next in line to take the throne, he could not take the throne in his own authority. Rome was the ruler of the known world. So in order for the next in line to take the seat of authority, he had to travel to Rome a lot of overland on foot or donkey, uh, some travel by, by sea uh, during the, the good months when they could travel. It would take a long time for him to go to find an audience in front of the emperor to plead his case why he would be worthy to be the next in line and then return back uh, to take his seat as the heir. In fact, uh, just... Um, by way of parenthesis, uh, when Herod the Great died, his kingdom was divided, and Aurelius, I think is his name, uh, he was so wicked when he traveled to Rome, big delegations of Jews went, and, and also Gentiles from, from the region where, that he was given went to appeal to Caesar to say, don't let him reign. So uh, I think this is the backstory for Jesus' parable. So anyway, while this presumptive king had to travel to Rome, he would be gone on a long trip. And for us as Christians, our Lord Jesus 
has been away a long time. For us as Christians, we have had to wait patiently uh, nearly 2,000 years for our king to return. But again, he could return at any time. Before this service is over, he could return. Come, Lord Jesus, Maranatha. And we must be ready for his return, but we should also be patient as we wait for him. So that's point number two, that the king will be away for a long time. Point number three, verse 13, what are we to do as Christians while we wait for him? Verse 13, calling ten of his servants, he being the king, gave them ten minas and said to them, engage in business until I come. What are we to do while we wait for him? We're to engage in kingdom business. While he is away, it says that the king called ten of his servants uh, to him. He gave them each an equal amount of money to invest for him. It was about four months' wages for um, for a regular worker, so not a, a whole lot of money. And I think Jesus, in telling this parable, is telling his servants that we are to use the resources he has given us for his kingdom. What are our resources? Well, all of us have time as a resource that we can give to our King Jesus. We all have time that we can invest in the kingdom of God. We also have finances that we can invest for the kingdom of God. We have our personalities that God has given us. All our intellectual gifts, our talents that we can invest for the kingdom of God. And most importantly... Each one of us as Christians have spiritual gifts given to us by the Holy Spirit himself. Uh, We talked about uh, spiritual gifts briefly in Sunday school this morning. If you want to know where you can learn about spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, teach us about the spiritual gifts. God has given you, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, one or more gifts to be used in his service for his church. Are you putting your gifts, your God-given gifts, into practice? Are you fanning them into flame? I was mentioning in Sunday school, you know, today you can go online and take a, a, a spiritual gifts inventory test, take a personality test, and then you take another little test about what you're good at, what you enjoy, what you don't enjoy, and they plug all this in and out pops an answer, which is your spiritual gift. And I was asking the Sunday school class this morning, well, then how did someone find their spiritual gift before there were these spiritual gift tests? You know, before there was the internet where you could go on and take one of these personality tests. Well, people got busy for the Lord. And what they enjoyed most, what they became unstoppable at doing, that was their spiritual gift. Jimbo's gift is being an evangelist. He is unstoppable in evangelism. I've led people to the Lord, but it wears me out to do evangelism. And starting the conversation in evangelism terrifies me. I say that the, the, the hardest part of doing evangelism is the first 10 seconds. But Jimbo just breaks right through those barriers. That's his gift. 
Me? I feel like I haven't loved you unless I have taught you something from the Word of God. And that's my gift. Spirit uh, as teaching uh, the Word of God. And others of you are just tremendous um, uh, hosts, and your gift is hospitality. Others of you are administratively gifted, and the Bible talks about that being a spiritual gift. On and on. Get busy for the Lord, and the Lord will show you what you're good at and what you would rather do than eat, than eat your next meal. Uh, and whatever that is that just inflames your heart, that's probably your spiritual gift. Get busy for the Lord, and your gift will pop out. It's that simple. So how are you using your gifts and resources to engage the kingdom business while our Lord Jesus is away? Are you taking initiative with your gifts and the resources God has given you and using them for, your, for his kingdom? Or are you squandering them and using your gifts and talents for yourself? And this is an important question because as we move to point four, we'll see that when Jesus returns, there's going to be a reckoning. There's going to be the Lord Jesus is going to, to call us to account. What did you do with the gifts, the talents, the resources that I gave you? So verses 14 and 15. When his citizens hated him, but, I'm sorry, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, so the, the emperor said, yes, you can reign. So he's received the kingdom. He ordered the servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. We're going to set verse 14 aside until we get to verse 27 at the end of the sermon. Uh, I will say that the citizens hated the king, but his servants here wanted to serve him. So in verse 15, the king, having now been uh, proclaimed as king, he calls his servants together to see what they've gained with the money that he had entrusted to them. We don't talk enough about the, re the rewards that we will get as Christians. The Bible does not say, or I'm sorry, the Bible does say, that God will judge Christians to determine what kind of rewards we will get. So, for instance, first, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians chapter ten, Second um, Corinthians chapter five, verse ten. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul was urging the Corinthians to stop judging one another. So he tells them that God will judge each Christian's work. Therefore, they don't need to judge one another. God's the judge. He knows what's going on in every person's heart. And so he says in 1 Corinthians 4, 
Do not pronounce judgment before the time. Before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things that are now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart? Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Verses 16 through 19 here in our passage gives us some clues about what those rewards will be. So I'll read verses 16 through 19. The first servant came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, you are to be over five cities. And so uh, the first servant, he turned a 100% profit on the ten minas that he was given. Second servant, he turned a 50% profit on his minas. So this is a good profit. These two servants have, have done well. So... Each of them received a reward in proportion to their faithfulness. The first one, who, who uh, earned uh, 100%, earned 10 more minas, he was also told, well done. The second one wasn't. I pondered that this week. I couldn't figure out why the second one, who only earned 50% more, was not told, well done. So I don't know. But uh, each of them received a reward in proportion to their faithfulness. And in each case, the reward was was expanded responsibility for service in his kingdom. Jesus does not only wait until we get to heaven to dole out his rewards. First of all, when we serve him faithfully, he gives us greater grace by giving us greater peace by giving us greater joy, by giving us greater contentment. His peace that surpasses all understanding, his joy that is filled, that is uh, inexpressible and filled with, with glory, his contentment that the Apostle Paul calls in first, uh, or Second Timothy, uh, great gain, the peace, the joy, the contentment. Those things far exceed anything that the world can offer. Take away everything, Lord, and let me have your peace, your joy, and your contentment, and I will be a happy man. For Christ to compensate you with his increasing peace, his increasing joy and contentment is the best paycheck you will ever receive. And then he also expands our responsibilities for service. You know, there were many people that as a very young Christian that I witnessed to about my faith in the Lord Jesus. There were many Bible studies that I taught, probably not very well. Uh, There were several guys that I discipled before I went to seminary. In fact, there are some guys in the ministry today because I got to set sit down with them and uh, share the Lord Jesus um, and uh, talk to them about their life. I spent my time, I spent my finances, mainly on books, uh, and I spent my talents, in other words, my whole being, to serve Christ as a kingdom servant. 
and he expanded my responsibility for service as people began to recognize my gifting for ministry. One of the reasons why I'm so grateful for you as a congregation and your, um, your encouragement for younger men, um, the, the, the beardless Dakota and uh, Tim Cook, the bearded one, you know, coming and being able to practice some of their gifts as young men to see it begin to be fanned into flame. Jesus says, when you're faithful with the little that he gives you, he gives you more responsibility. And that is a blessing. It's a privilege to gain expected, expanded responsibility in order to serve Jesus in his kingdom. And then, of course, when we get to heaven, we are promised even more rewards for faithful service. Revelation chapter 2 verse 26 says that we will be granted authority over the nations. Matthew 19 verse 28 says that we will sit on thrones judging Israel, whatever that means. 2 Timothy 4 verse 8, we are told that we will receive the crown of righteousness. In James chapter 1 verse 12, it says that we will receive the crown of life. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, we are told that we will receive the crown of joy. Blessing and reward awaits you here in this life and in the next as you serve Christ faithfully where he has planted you. Where he has planted you, do the work, bloom and grow, and he will pick you up and he will plant you elsewhere in a, where you can continue to bloom and grow. It might be in the same spot, but it will be with greater responsibility. But then there's also the possibility of loss if we are not faithful to be about Christ's kingdom. And this is the next point, verses 20 through 23. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. The king said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you put, not put my money in the bank, and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? Are we to think of this servant as being a Christian? Some commentators build that case. Others see him as a nominal Christian who confesses Christ but does not really know him. I think that's my view. Uh, the servant maligns the king. The king calls him a wicked servant. You know, this is someone who considers himself a Christian, but his life proves otherwise. The wicked servant was not about the king's business. He hid the minas so that he could just live his life the way he wanted to without that responsibility. This is a nominal Christian, but I think Jesus also, in verses 24 through 26, introduces two principles 
that we need to give our attention to as Christians. Verses 24 through 26, And he said to those who stood by, Take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. The ten minas of the wicked servant were taken away from him. In other words, Jesus is saying, introducing this principle, use it or lose it. Think about an athlete who stops practicing. Or Dale, think about a musician who stops um, honing their skills. What's going to happen to their, uh, to their musical skills or to their athletic skills? They're going to become, they're going to begin to decline and diminish. Likewise, in the Christian life, we need to fan our, our gifts into flame by putting them to use for Christ's kingdom. Otherwise, it seems to me that Jesus is saying, I'll take them away and equip someone else to do what you should have been doing. Then the second principle here might sound odd to our modern ears in the, the day and age in which we're living. Uh, in our day and age, our society is offended by the idea of inequality. Everybody should have the same thing, right? Well, the one who received the, or who made the most profit received even more. And the people protested in verse 25 that the king should have given it to the one who only had five cities. Lord, he didn't have as much as the one who has ten minas. Jesus is not being unfair, he is being wise. The one who made the ten minas, well, the king, being a wise king, wants to put the money in his hands, knowing that he has proved himself to make the most of the money he's given him. The, two, the Georgia Bulldogs had two fine quarterbacks this year. One was a walk-on, and he won the starting job. The other was a five-star recruit. And because the walk-on won the starting job, guess who got the most uh, repetitions in practice with the starting unit? He who won the job. It would have been crazy for the coach to, in the name of equality, give the second stringer as much time with the starters as the first stringer, all to make sure nobody's feelings were hurt. So, Jesus is being wise here. And it's a principle that when you uh, are working for the kingdom of God and you prove yourself to be faithful, the Lord Jesus will give you greater expanded responsibility. He'll entrust more to you. You know, why wouldn't the king give the ten minus to the one who had already proven to be able to make the most with the investment? The question is, what are you doing with the investment that God has made in you? And then in verse 27, we bring the sermon to a close. The king deals with the citizens who hated him in verse 14. So verse 14 
There were these citizens who hated the king. Verse 27, But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. They rejected the king. Therefore, they faced severe judgment. Hell is a reality. God is a holy God. Your sins need to be covered by the blood of Jesus. Otherwise, you will be accountable to God for your sins. Your sins are accountable. The Lord Jesus came here and died on the cross to pay for our sins. If you don't flee to Him and you enter into eternity with your sins still to your account, you are accountable for them. Jesus is being very clear here. It is a severe judgment. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Young people, you're going to face the temptation to be your own king, to try and keep your life for yourself to fulfill your desires rather than the Lord Jesus' desires. It's real tempting. We've all been here as adults. You want to keep your options open. You don't want to miss out on life while you're young. But Look closely at verse 27. Consider the consequences carefully. I'll read it. Again, but as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Our Lord Jesus, he is continuing to wait before he comes back for his beloved bride, the church. So now is the time to work for him by his death. By his resurrection, he has given us everything we need to serve him faithfully. He has given you his spirit. His spirit has made your heart his home. He has given you his spiritual gifts. Work hard for him while we still have time here on earth as we pray together. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us to work hard for you. Help us to put aside the time wasters, the distractions, the sins that so easily entangle, and help us to run the race, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Help us to uh, be um, efficient and effective for your kingdom and your glory. We ask in your name, amen.